podcast. How you going, Luke? Good to yourself, mate. Good to have you back. Yeah. I know. It's good. It's good. I was flat out last week. Yeah. A bit of a cruisy week this week, so it's good. Oh, that's awesome. Well, nice we're... Nice, isn't it? Yeah. We're backing it up. Three guests in a row, mate. I know. It's good. You don't have to listen to us waffle on all the time. Yeah, there you go. So tonight we have Braden from Red's Cold Blooded Critters joining us. Braden, how are you? I'm good, thanks, guys. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Glad to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's um, yeah, I'm super stoked. No, it's um, it's good to get a fresh face on the show. Um, uh, you've actually kind of popped up to me because I had one of my patrons reach out and go, "Hey, you should check out this guy on YouTube." I think he's um kind of following a little bit of your lead sort of thing and, and he's got a really epic room that he's building and yeah obviously after that we we kind of started chatting and next thing you know you got a couple of gillens monitors in your hands and yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> one thing leads to another yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so um what kind of started you keeping keeping reptiles um so i've been keeping them for about 20 years now non-stop uh got into them when i was really really young yeah. uh, basically was as any sort of normal kid, they sort of take an interest into something like like a lizard or whatever. And I was given a blue tongue really early on, and it was just I just kept to it. A few years after that, I got given a like for my seventh birthday, I was given a um, children's python. And as I was growing up, watching heaps of Steve Irwin and that sort of stuff, and then uh, being as I was so into it and so passionate about it as a kid, my mum actually got into it as well, and so she was what really kicked it off because she kept a whole bunch of smooth knobtail geckos and seeing her be so passionate about it and put all that time and effort into it um, and just growing up with it, it was kind of just a no-brainer really. I fell into it really easily and I've just never gotten out of it. That's Have you awesome. found that it's kind of like um, gone through stages where you're kind of like really into it or, or you, you kind of back off it a little bit? Like you're still into it but you're not quite... Yeah, you know, so... Hundred animals type thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as a like as a young fellow, I had my own a few animals, and then helping mum with her geckos and whatnot. Uh, and then once I sort of hit my early teens, you sort of branch out, I guess, with your life and your hobbies, and you're trying to find your way. And whilst I always still loved reptiles, like we used to go out all the time up the mountains to some of like uh, jelly bean pools and that sort of stuff, and we'd always find them whilst we're out swimming around or playing. So I was always still interested in them. I still loved them. I just didn't keep as many. Yeah, uh, I, I kept the original children's python. Uh, I had that for pretty much all my life until a few years ago. But um, yeah, it did come and go through stages, and I think it's probably been within the most the last five or six years. I've sort of really taken to it, and it's I guess my passion towards it's changed depending on how I kept the reptiles. So you know, keeping them in tubs or keeping them in melamine enclosures and that sort of stuff. It was. Yeah, just like I said, trying to find my way. And now that I've got them in the, the glass enclosures and trying to go for that really naturalistic setup, it's just, it's flourished. And yeah, I'm just, I'm completely hooked on it. And I can't see it stopping anytime soon. It's got the ball rolling again. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> was your was your mum, when she was keeping uh, all the knobtail geckos and stuff early on, was she breeding them and stuff as well? Yeah, so. She, back then, that was like almost 20 years ago, she was keeping smooth knobtails and pulperensis and that sort of stuff. And obviously yeah. there was no social media. So to get hold of them, it was all through word of mouth. I think it was Pet Trade or Pet Link back then was 
how, you know, there was a few things on there and it was just she met people and, uh, I, yeah, the amount of times I remember her being on the phone to people from Queensland and Victoria and that sort of stuff. So she'd get them sent up and sent down and all the rest of it. Yeah, she got right into breeding it. And I think seeing her reproduce them and being there for the whole process between helping her feed them to helping her retrieve the eggs, um, it was just, yeah, it was a really rewarding experience, especially for a young kid. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome thing, you know, having like a, a mother that's into it. You know, most most people you hear, it's kind of they've, you know, made the journey themselves, but to have someone else that's got like a sounds like a pretty decent collection and yeah. being able to help and, you know, learn things was, you know, a good good benefit. So Yeah, and she was she was very like inclusive. Like she always wanted me to help out and it was actually a lot of the times when she'd bred them, she couldn't actually collect the eggs herself because of how excited she was. So she'd get the sh- <laughs> she'd get the shakes up and whatnot. And whereas I was I was young, I was a little bit more. I guess I, I was a bit calmer about. It. I didn't understand the importance of it. Yeah. Um, I, I knew it was awesome, but I wasn't as I definitely wasn't as hyped up as what she was. I was more just like, oh, this is pretty cool, you know what I mean? And so she used to get me to collect the eggs for her because I didn't have the jitters or whatnot like she did. But <laughs> to be to be included that much, especially from a, like a, early on. It's definitely, yeah. you know, paved the way. Definitely. That's crazy, hey, because it's like something that, like, my mum and dad, they always had animals of some description, yeah. but generally it was, like, fish or maybe a couple of budgies or something like that. There was never reptiles in, in my household. And I think about that now when I'm walking around with my son in, in this room or whatever, and I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Like, imagine him. Like, he's going to grow up thinking that's normal. but That's right. It's not for most people. Mm. Yep. Yeah, but you, you've lived it, so it's kind yeah, of like exactly. a. Yeah. It's cool to hear that story as to how you've grown up with it. Yeah, if it's not if it's not reptiles, it's birds. If it wasn't birds, it's dogs. Like we've always we've always had a hand in something, and yeah, just animals in general. All my life, never not had an animal. Never once not had a house full of them. Actually, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So. What animals do you actually enjoy keeping these days and what draws you to, um, to keep these particular groups of animals? So these days it's it's all um, geckos and monitors. Uh, I've had my hand in uh, like everything from turtles to frogs to, you know, snakes and whatnot. And whilst they all, like they're all interesting in their own ways, me personally I've just been really drawn to the geckos and monitors. Geckos yeah. just purely for how unique they are uh, and the variation between all of them, like from your terrestrials to your arboreals and even with your terrestrials, the, the different shapes, sizes, colours, they're all just very fascinating, unique and, and it's it's really interesting and the same goes for monitors. Whilst they all, generally speaking, are, you know, they, they follow a similar attitude and whatnot and rough sort of size, like sizes between the dwarf monitors and the big ones and they all sort of look the same. They're unique in just their colours and I find that they're quite unique as well in their personalities between like all of the ones that I keep and have kept and I just yeah I think they're really interactive and that's what I love about it it's not they're not just something that would just sit there like I can interact with the monitors hand feeding tongue feeding and that sort of stuff it's it just yeah it's good to have that interaction with them and that's what I love about each of them you're preaching to the choir with us too <laughs> yeah most definitely yeah, we're watching I'm assuming that's a you running around in the yeah, background yeah he's he's <laughs> cutting sick at the moment he's he's a really he comes to me as a little hatchy and he was a very like scared sort of monitor, but he found his way and he's just, he's really opened up and now I can't do anything in this room without him like cutting sick or <laughs> running around or yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah, one good thing about the monitors is the interaction you can have with them. Yeah, he'll come to the front of the glass whether I'm feeding him or not. He, he just yeah. wants to know what's going on. And, and I just think that it's it's interesting. It's, I guess, in a roundabout way, similar to, I guess, like a dog or something like that, likes to follow yeah. you around. And they're just curious, and that's what I love about them. They're so curious and incredibly smart. So yes. that's one thing that stands out to me as well is they're just so incredibly smart for a lizard. Well, or, well like somebody that's not in the hobby would just say is just a lizard, but it's, it's not yeah. the case at all. Yeah. Do you, do you want to kind of like list off some of the species that you're keeping at the moment just so everyone at home can hear what you've got? Yeah, so at the moment I've just got the, the Aki monitor, um, just the one at the moment, but obviously I'd, I'd be trying to find more. Um, I've got two pairs of Trissus. I've got an adult pair and then a sub-adult pair and then a, just a young pair um, of Killens that I obviously got from, from you, Luke, not long ago. And then I've got a, a large like lace monitor that lives outside. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Everything from the tiny guys to the big guys. Yeah. Right, the way through. It's actually, I went backwards in how I started keeping them. So I started off with a lace monitor. I'd never kept a, a monitor or anything <laughs> like that before. I'd, I'd only had at the time just the blue tongue and the and the children's python. And I, I, I come across, I think it was Croc, Croc Doc on YouTube, his videos when I was yep. when I was young and I was like, man, I've got to get these monitors. Like these are so sick. And trying to pitch the idea to my mum that like these lizards can get up to, to two metres and, you know, 10 to 15 kilos for, for big individuals was, it was a hard, hard slog, but I got there in the end and, yeah, for my 14th birthday she bought me one and it just went from there. That's where my passion, <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that? <laughs> that's where my passion for, for Lacey's come from. So I've had him ever since. I've had him, he's 11 years old now and he's probably... Yep give or take, he'd be in between sort of 1.6, 1.8 metres. And he's he's pretty, like, he's a heavy sort of fella. He's solid. <laughs> Mate, oh, man. Present. Yeah. 14 years old, he's a, he's a he's lace, a lace monitor. Yeah, by wow. 16, he was, like, he's been well fed and looked after, obviously, and by sort of 16, 17, he was pretty well adult size. So, and I like, I was obviously at 17, I was going through my little gangly stage. So to have this huge lizard and, and it's like a relatively small like kid really still like with this lizard it was just it was more of a I think when people come over like friends and family it was just one of them things to show off like they couldn't believe it they were just blown away it's not something that you walk in everyone's backyard and see yeah Yeah. definitely I actually think about that because I had a friend um at high school and we used to think he was heaps weird because he was into reptiles this is like the obvious before (laughs) that I was into it right and we were just like, man, you keep all these animals at home and stuff. I remember going around to his house and he's having, you know, all snakes in tubs and that. And you went out into his backyard and he had a massive lacy ovary with these things tail whipping him and stuff while he was in the cage. And I was just like, you're crazy. But like, it's such a normal thing for a lot of people. And, you know, yeah. he would have been very similar age to you when he got those animals. Yeah. So it's, yeah. 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 It's definitely a novelty thing. It's, it's, and as, as you walk into our backyard, he's the first thing that people see. So, yeah when they do walk in there and they do see him and he is out on display and he is a good looking animal. Um, he's quite yellow and blue around the face and stuff. So, you know, when people do walk up and see him and he's, he's fairly tame, like through the cage, he's a bit of a, like, you know, huffs and puffs and whatnot. Um, but he's pretty relaxed. He's not, not much of a tail whipper unless you get in there, which is, which is a different story. But yeah, for somebody, for somebody who doesn't know lizards to walk up to the cage and not have him go completely psycho is cool because they can get a good look at him and, you know, he's happy to smell them through the cage and, you know, they get to see his tongue and they get to see how he acts. And, yeah, it's good. It's rewarding like that. So 
What sort of cage do you actually have him in outside? Like, do you just want to describe it a little bit to the listeners? Yeah, so it was one that we bought from Kellyville Pets. It was an ex-display thing that I had out the front. Um, so we obviously had to go over there, pull it down. I think it's it's about four and a half metres wide, um, three, three and a half deep, and then two and a half tall. So it's not on the – I wouldn't say it's on the, the largest of Avery sizes, um, but for one individual, it's it's plenty compared to um, like how we've seen some people keep them and that sort of stuff. And yeah, I think the main thing is like just utilising as much of that space as possible, lots to climb on. Obviously, you can climb on the gauze, like the cage straight at the front. Um, he's got big logs in there. So there's plenty of room for him, plenty of space for him to hide, bask, get out of the sun, <clears throat> all the rest of it. He's got a huge big water dish in there that – in summer, he'll regularly sit in, and yeah, so just it's it's decent. It's a decent size, but it fits nicely in the area of the backyard that it's in, and it doesn't look out of place. Um, yep. It's not far from our shed, so in winter, when it gets to the really really cold times there, like obviously, it's easy keeping him outside, being as though he's a lace mine. This is where they're from, the base of the Blue Mountains and the Blue Mountains and stuff. So I'm not too stressed on keeping it like him outside year round, um, but in winter when it does get extremely like nippy and it's, it's snowing up the mountains, we do get that draft that comes down. Mm. We can run, um, I do run a, like a big, it's like a chicken sort of dome light um, that we just drop down on a section there that he can still get some warmth if he needs it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but more often than not, you know, you won't see him out and about. It's more just, I think, peace of mind for me. Yeah. And it's obviously, you know, providing that option just in case he does want to utilise it. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bloody big tough critters, those things. Mm. I always love the idea about keeping big big lizards like that, but not not for a while yet for myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as geckos go, though, you've got a, a, a bit of a variety of geckos as well, don't you? Yeah, so it started with uh, got into the wheelieries, the wheelieries synctus, um, and then swiftly followed by the MEAs. And I just kept getting more and more of them. And then I was like, well, it started to become really addictive then. And as much as I love individual animals for their personalities, I also like, I like collecting and expanding on my collection. Yep. I like having a bit of variety for me. Um, it keeps it interesting. So mm. I ended up branching out to, I ended up getting in contact, sorry, with Rick Worthy. And then and he set me up <laughs> with, with some pairs of uh, Strophorus. And, and now just recently I acquired a pair of the, uh, Northern Velvets. Yeah. There's so much more that I want to get. It's just this is what I started with now. And uh, Rick's, got, Rick's got a lot of it. So. He's got a lot. <laughs> so he's really good. And yeah. I've, I've talked to, like spoken to him so many times about it. And there's, yeah, I can't tell you the amount of times he said, mate, I've got it. If you want it, come get it. That's it. Like, I'd love to, but I've got to be an adult. I've got, to, <laughs> I've got other things yeah. I've got to pay for. Like, don't tease me like that. But yeah. <laughs> he's good like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can rope you in pretty good. That's, um, yeah. I often look at all the geckos that I have here, and I was like, "It's all Rick's fault." I think. Yeah. I think all, but, I think all but one species is Rick's fault. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, he's a, no, he's, he's good, good, Rick. Yeah. Good value. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of a variety. And you were keeping the. Did you have one amelanistic northern? Yeah. So an, an amelanistic and then a hypo. Yeah. Um, there was just that's how they were. They weren't sold like at the expo. They weren't sold individually. Yeah. Um, they were sold as you know a male hypo and then a female amelanistic. So 
obviously, like when they breed, you're not going to get one of like one specific one of each. It'll be sort of hets for this, hets for that. But that for me, that's interesting because you know you can raise babies and whatnot, and and potentially like further down the line, breed my own hypos and amelanistics again. And um, mm. what I find interesting, especially about the northern velvets, is a lot of the like people that I've spoken to that keep the hypos and the amelanistics. A lot of the hets for either of them, in my opinion, actually look better than the yeah. hypos. So a lot of your hets will yeah. look a lot better than a normal hypo northern velvet. Uh, a lot of the hets for amelanistic come out looking absolutely insane, in my opinion. Um, they look great. So even if I don't end up producing more of the like amelanistics or anything, the hypos themselves are like they're cracking looking animals and that's enough of a motivation for me to want to, you know, put that time and effort into trying to produce my own. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I, I don't think I've ever had a more – well, I've had one morph gecko, which was a bit of a, a freak gecko, and it was kind of by accident. And that was that um, – I don't know if you've seen it, but that crazy purple spotted yeah. Leoli. Yeah, that uh, Rick's got now. So Rick originally bred it, and I ended up giving it back to him to see if he could reproduce it, which um, I think it turned out to be just kind of like one of those freaky-looking animals that didn't reproduce anything. But um, – yeah, I've never been into morph geckos myself personally. Chase, have you ever kept morph geckos? Uh, I'm trying to think if I have. I don't think I have. There's not too many morph. Like there, there wasn't the like the smooth knob tails, obviously with the albino, um, albinos and stuff like that. But yeah, I've never the jelly that. beans. The jelly beans. They were probably the first one. Mm. The jelly beans, but yeah, I've never yeah, person, personally. Yeah. I've never it just even with any of the reptiles like. I'm certainly not knocking anyone that's into it, like each to their own. At the end of the day, like I said, we we all love reptiles and that, but me personally, I I kind of tend to stick more to as far as I'd go with looks, like locality specific is as far as I'd go with, you know, trying to s- switch it up between how they look and their colours and whatnot. But morphs and stuff for me personally, I think the thing that's put me off ever getting right into it is just so much of it nowadays. It's so hard for, especially with the carpets and the ants, that's the stuff for me to even wrap my head around. So um, just sort of keeping it simple like that for me and locality specific is probably as far as I'd go with, you know, how different individuals are. But I, I tend personally to keep just more of the animal itself, originals. I think that's yeah. the one good thing about the geckos too is it's such a diverse, you know, like lot. There's the such a diverse lot of geckos. So you can have all these different types of geckos. Let's say if you're into carpets, you've got a few carpets, but then you kind of go down that moth path just because mm-hmm. you want the variety yeah. as well kind of thing. So I think having all those different types of geckos just kind of tick all those boxes. Yeah, it's almost like having a whole bunch of different morphs with exactly. without them actually being morphs, yeah. yeah. I find that funny because, like, I remember I think um, you and I were talking about it. I don't think it was online, Jason. Um, I think it was in person, but, like, how you have – I can't remember if it was the Celebrosis or the Cornutus or something that you had, but there were so many different variety colours that you've got at the moment or something. Like, oh, you know, yeah, like, Dark ones and you know yeah. all these sorts of things happening, and it's like it's kind of like a morph, but not because you yeah. just you're it's dialing cool, yeah. into that sort of variation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there was yeah a few years ago now. I had like I basically it was like a brick red cornutus. It was like I think there's a picture on my Instagram somewhere of it, but yeah, and it's the same with some of the celebrosis as well. Like there's like this one I've got this really black, and I've got some that are like super white on the white side like obviously they change color night and day so you know it's a bit hard to tell during the day but when they fire up to that nighttime color yeah they look like two completely different geckos almost 
So yeah. Looks like nothing you see on Google Images, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So for the animals that you are keeping at home, mate, what are some of your preferred feed options? Um, it's I guess I started keep breeding my own woodies. That to me, I used to growing up, obviously it was just convenient for me to go to the pet shop, crickets, woodies, whatever. Um, I tend, when I was a bit younger, I tended to sort of stick more towards the crickets. Um, for me, it was just easier to feed and count out and divvy it up. And I felt like, especially from the pet shops that I was getting it from, I was getting a little bit more value for money in terms of the crickets, like the quantity and the little containers I was buying. Um, nowadays, I breed my own woodies. Um, so I have a little colony of them that they're just, they're booming. They're super easy to keep, super easy to feed. Obviously, we've got heaps of birds and that at home here as well. So like mum daily, she's chopping up fresh fruit and veg and that sort of stuff. So there's always a little bit left behind that we give to the woodies and I've had no issues with that. Um, I do keep um, a small colony of crickets. I just haven't been able to successfully produce enough at a rate that I'm not losing them as quick as I'm like, you know, producing yeah, it, if that makes yeah. sense. So yeah. I'm sort of, I'm always sort of chasing my tail a little bit with the crickets, but it is what it is. Um, occasionally, like I'll get some superworms or something like that for some of the monitors just to give them something different. But I just recently reached out to Frizy, um, and put an order in for some, for, for like for some of the hoppers. So, yeah. That's something that, and like I feel like they're fairly reasonably priced and that sort of stuff in terms of what you're getting and, and definitely the variety. So that's something that I'll look at doing and getting more regularly um, from him as well. So I do give them uh, meats and whatnot. The the adult Tristus and the subadults they really seem to like the quails, so the day old mm-hmm. quails that sort of stuff. They really love the like the poultry. I always found even with the big snakes, like when I was keeping some of the black-headed pythons and that sort of stuff, they loved that as well. So um, the big the big lacy outside, he loves the the quails and that as well. So between day-olds and, you know, a few weeks old and whatnot, like they do love the um, the quails. Obviously, you give them the pinky mice here and there. Um, I tend not to give them too much of the pinky mice as it's obviously very fattening. Um, yeah. I try and wait till they get to a like a size where they can take – uh, hoppers or even you know subadult mice. It's something that's got bones and stuff in it. It's more calcium, um, but uh, it's just. I guess it also depends what's available at the at the pet shop and that obviously, but like you know, with foods. I think we we're only talking about the other day, Luke. It's there was big stints there where there was no woodies, there was no crickets. Everyone was like when we had them heat waves. So for me, for someone that wasn't right into breeding my food up until recently, it was just sort of whatever was available and just buying as much of it as I could when it was available. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what really kick-started me into doing the woodies again. Mm-hmm. I just – I never had success doing crickets. Like I did all the research mm-hmm. and I, I've got my head reasonably wrapped around on how to do it. I think I was just – I was too slow in getting the eggs out and putting them in their own tub yeah. and, you know, doing all that yeah. sort of stuff, so I just ended up missing them. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But my – like a bit more work than woodies, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and what makes me laugh is like I struggle so heavily with doing the crickets, but my mum back in the day when she had the knobtails, she just had them in a 55-gallon drum or whatever size they are and she used to breed the hell out of the crickets. Like there was, it was no issues for her whatsoever and she used to smash it. And me, I'm here I am, you know, sort of 15 years later trying to re- like recreate that and I, I can't for the life of me. So she was doing something right back then, but... Yeah, I just I can't get my head around the crickets just yet, but the woodies are easy and there's enough of them, so they'll do for now. 
You, you might have to ask her for some tips, mate. <laughs> I, I have, and she, she's told them off to her. <laughs> I should do that. I should just, yeah, leave it in her hands and, and then come back through in a few weeks' time and ask her how they're going. But, yeah. Here's a question for you. Seeing as you're such a bird-heavy household, have you guys considered uh, breeding quail for your animals? Uh, yeah, so once upon a time we used to breed quail um, when we had – like uh, I can't remember finches uh, specifically. Yep. Some of our larger parrots, um, not so much a fan of the quails, and like stuff like we keep African greys, um, black-headed cakes, um, Quakers, and whatnot. So occasionally they will come down to the ground to feed and whatnot, and we just don't want any squabbles between the between the two. Like as much as yep. we would love to breed the quails for food, at the same time we've got to be fair to them and. So mm. it's it's something that we've considered, but it's it's um, just for their sake as well. I think we it's just easier for me to buy them in bulk. But yep. if I had my own plate, like my own place and that my own space, I'd probably consider doing it because they are such quails are such easy animal to to breed and they reproduce so quickly. Um, it's definitely something I'd consider in the future for sure. Yeah, yeah. That was just a curious question because like I know when. I never bred them. I used to get eggs off mine because for a number of years, well, a couple of seasons, I had a couple of quails that lived in my backyard because I was convinced that rubbing pinky mice on the or getting the feathers from the quails and stuff like that, I'd be able to, you know, get my anteroges to eat a little bit better and stuff. So I kind of had a couple of pet quails that were out in the backyard for a while. Never bred them, obviously, but, yeah, it was just a curious question because, I mean, nowadays keeping a lot of animals that could eat little Baby quails would be quite handy yeah. to have that. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Baby quails, even the eggs, like yeah. it doesn't matter if you want to produce babies, even just breeding them for the eggs, you know, it's yeah. great for the monitors and stuff as well. So mm, definitely. Yeah. Sure I don't even think up. I gave my monitors any of those eggs. I think I saved them all up and made myself the tiniest, <laughs> well, tiniest omelet. <laughs> Took a while. Yeah, that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um so what kind of inspired you to take off on a YouTube channel and kind of document your journey with your room? Um, I So I started a few years ago. I had a big melamine-like enclosure, a big stack made up, and I thought I'd put my hand in. I was sick of seeing how dear, like, artificial rock backgrounds and stuff were from a pet shop um, between buying the enclosures and the animals and then having to get a background as well. It was just ridiculously dear. So I sort of I like being hands-on creative thought I'd give it a crack myself with doing that. I sort of I fell into obviously your channel, Luke, and watched a lot of how you did it. I, I tried a few times to do it on my own, watching a few videos like American um, YouTubers and that sort of stuff and how they did it, and I could never quite get it right. And then I think it was I come onto one of your videos there very early on um, and you put me onto it like I was able to get onto the right tile pointing, the mixtures and that sort of stuff. And from there it's obviously, yeah, without being cheesy, just watching your videos and whatnot, seeing how easy it can be if you are somewhat creative um, and you are, like, you do enjoy that sort of DIY. It was just, yeah, it was it was, it was was a no-brainer for me and that basically inspired me. Once I started doing a couple, it just kicked off and then when I really started to enjoy it, I thought, well, I'd love to be able to document it and, you know, put it online. And I always wanted to start a YouTube channel. I just, with how I was keeping them before, I didn't have a massive collection and having them in the melamine enclosures, it was hard to film with the, the camera without catching every other lizard or gecko or whatever in the in the mix. So when I decided that I was going to put them into a room, I thought, well, how good would it be to, to film the process from start to finish yeah. from 
the room being completely barren from having to, you know, seal up all the edges and gaps and stuff under the skirting boards and, you know, whatnot to painting it to putting in the racks, designing and drawing out the plans for the rooms and that sort of stuff to where it is now. It's it's a journey and I just thought there'd be nothing better than to be able to film it and one day just watch it back myself. I thought that would be the most rewarding part. Like, you know, even if it didn't get any, like even if it didn't get a big following or anything, that just for me personally to be able to look back on it was was something I was looking forward to anyway. So that's what sort of really kicked it off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Luke got me onto it because yeah, he he sent me the thing, and I think I just been watched binge watched all the videos in like one night, and I yeah. was like, because obviously my room's been going on for how long now, Luke? <laughs> oh, three <laughs> years too many. <laughs> three years too many. And I'm like, <clears throat> I've just been so busy with stuff, but it's given me that like inspiration to get stuck back into it. So it was good. Yeah, well, that was that was my main thing. It's just if I could inspire people to to do it and show how easy it was, then, you know, why not? Why not get more people into it? Yeah. I like the way that you're doing it too. It's kind of like a, um, you know, tank by tank type build as you're filling out your room. It's not kind of like, you know, I... I'm very ad lib. It'll be like this thing and then all of a sudden I'm herping and then all of a sudden it's this sort of thing. But I like the fact that it's kind of like reptile room, build, you know, this is what you're doing sort of thing in this episode. It's really cool how you've kind of structured it like that because, you know, people will be able to just like as Jason and I did, sit down and just watch one through to five or episode six or wherever you're at now and kind of just see it progress. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the plan behind it. Like obviously – it's going to come to a, like a time there where the room is somewhat complete and I'll have to branch out in my videos and, and be, you know, um, creative and, and what sort of content I do bring out. But for now it was, I did, I just found joy in trying to do it as a follow along. So the people that are watching it feel like when they are watching it or if they do binge watch it, that they're there as well. So that's the, yeah. that was kind of the inspiration for doing it the way that I'm doing it. But in time, I'm sure like I'll find other ways and, different things to make videos about and try and break it up. But for now, I think I've really got that uh, that ball rolling and I'm just sticking with it whilst I've got that motivation. So, I think it's really cool because, like, for, for, for me, like, I'm pretty much done doing anything I'm doing by the odd project here or there sort of thing. It's almost like it's cool to watch you do it because it's, it, it's kind of, oh, I don't know how do I say this, it's scratching an itch, like an itch yeah. that, like, I, I, don't, I don't need to build anything. I don't need to do anything, but I enjoy seeing that process, you know, because at the same time I'm trying to learn things off what you're doing and going like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he's using this product to do this or something. And it might be simple like we were talking about with like the light shields the other day. Yeah. It kind of sent me down another ball path of thinking about different light shields rather than just using core flute and magnets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that, like we're always learning off each other at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's the best part is everyone does something a little bit different. Exactly. And, 100%. you know, I've taken little bits and pieces from, you know, like what you've been doing, Luke, and then taking little bits and pieces from, say, um, what Asha from Gondwana Geckos was doing and yeah. just taking a little bit from everyone as well as incorporating my own little bit of knowledge that I've accumulated, you know, to create my own channel and just demonstrate how I do it is, and I'm sure somebody else out there will be watching my content and then watching somebody else's content and taking little bits and pieces. And so it's just a, it's a domino effect really. And Definitely. it's, it's been good to be a part of that. Oh, it's good to, and it's good that there's a lot more Australian content coming out too. Cause like back when I was younger, 
everything was just all American stuff, you know. It was mm-hmm. Brian Barczyk and all that stuff. But it's good just yeah. watching Australian stuff, I reckon. Yeah, and that, that's what I started on was was Brian Barczyk. And yeah. from that, it, it moved on to starting to watch Luke's videos to watching some of Coop's videos. And that's I th- actually the after getting the Lacey, the real addiction towards the monitors come from watching one of Coop's videos where he went up and visited um, Rob from Monsoon Monitors and looking at his his collection and it's just that's yeah that's where it all started so to, i felt like as well the, the other bit of motivation i had towards starting my channel was that there wasn't a whole lot of australian like content yeah. creators as well like you know there's a lot of keepers we have a huge community for reptiles but i didn't feel like there was you know you've only got to jump online and and onto youtube and type in like an australian reptile collections or you know something on youtube or reptile rooms you know australian reptile rooms and there is you can almost count on two hands how many people have actually got or a genuine Australian content creators. So Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's good, I guess, to be a part of that. Yeah. Oh, and then you sift sift through like hundreds of, you know, Canadian or US um, videos. And it's always refreshing yeah. just to, that's like when Luke sent me the link to yours. I was like, awesome. Like another good Aussie one to watch rather than just Bubbling yeah. through like the yeah, American one and this yeah. and that, so it yeah. was actually really it, good. it got it got frustrating as well. Like I love all sorts of reptiles. It doesn't matter if they're from America, or where they're yeah, from, yeah, definitely. But it's I got like you know sick of seeing the usual savannah monitor this or you know alligator this, corn snake this, ball python this, leopard and gecko. leopard gecko this, and so whilst you know I do still like enjoy watching that sort of stuff, and they are still reptiles. It was like I kind of just wanted to see more Aussie stuff. Um, Stuff that you keep or can exactly. keep, even, and stuff know, that like, I have yeah. access to. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I can't just go and get a chameleon. So, to, but I can, I can go and get some of these monitors and stuff. So it's just, yeah. It, it makes a difference when you do have that sort of content, and I think, like as I was talking, I've talked to heaps of people about this. Like, I don't consider myself an anybody in content creating. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. a tinker, tinkerer, right? Like, that's the way I try to think about myself. Is somebody watches it, cool. If they don't, whatever. I, I I'm kind of like the same as you. I get to watch my stuff back and go, that was a good video. That was a crap video. I can do better on this build next time. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also like being able to try to push other people further that want to do the content and stuff like that because mm-hmm. I think it's cool and I think we should all just kind of uh, step it up together, so to speak. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, try to Maybe boost each, each other, other up. up. Yeah. yeah. And even even herping videos and everything, like there just needs mm-hmm. to be more content out there. Yeah. 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 It all happened. The, the herping videos, I, I find, like the last kind of couple of years went pretty nuts for Aussies. There was kind yeah. of a few people jumping onto there. They kind of died scene. down a little bit though, I noticed. But they start, yeah. I oh, suppose it's seasonal. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But, yeah. yeah. But no, it's yeah. definitely good to see more Australian stuff, that's for sure. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think I, watching a lot of that like Ricky stuff that he was putting up and and that, that helped as well. Like, yeah, I guess it motivated me to, like, you know, with the keeping of the animals, like seeing people see them in the wild and documenting where they find mm. them in the wild and how they look in the wild. It was, you know, whilst I enjoyed watching videos of people building rooms or building enclosures, it was it was refreshing to watch where the actual animals come from, you know, yeah. and, and the environment. Yeah, it's good. Uh, there's some some herping videos and stuff that are out there that don't include enough of the natural habitat the animals are found on. I find that mm-hmm. some of them it's yeah. just kind of like here's another snake on the road, here's another snake mm-hmm. on the road, and it's mm-hmm. like just 
pan up, show me where the snake's actually at. Like I know it's on the road, but like just show me a little bit of what's what it's actually from. Yeah. But yeah. Natural naturalistic terrarium, just put bitumen in it with like <laughs> down the middle and you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen anyone do that yet. <laughs> Yeah, just have it like run off into the distance and like because that's where most people find everything. <laughs> Unique. Uh, yeah. Oh, I might have to Someone's do that doing that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, too no, funny. So how, how did you actually start the process of, you know, starting your room? Because like obviously you had a pretty blank slate there to be able to work with, didn't you? Are you in a spare bedroom or something with that? Yeah, it's like a, it's a study. So it's an old yeah. like, uh, com- like computer type room. It was a perfect room just purely because we can regulate the temperature in here a lot better. Mm. Um, I did have access to a bedroom like when all my brothers and that moved out, but the sun hits that side of the house where that bedroom is all day and yeah. even with 100%, you know, shut out shutters or roller shutters or whatever on your windows, the temperature of that room fluctuates just too much in summer. Yeah. Um, whereas this room is bang smack in the middle of the house. Um, there's no natural light unfortunately coming in here but it's as far as temperature wise goes it stays very consistent year round so even in our you know 45 degree days at our worst here in summer this room maximum would only be sitting at about 30 degrees so just purely from where it's sitting in the house so it was it just made more sense to put them in a room like this where the ambient temperature and the temperature of their enclosures is purely just controlled from the lighting and, and and isn't determined by you know, the heat of the room from it cooking from outside sort of thing, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I suppose you've kind of almost worked into um, the animals that you keep. You know, you're not exactly keeping super sensitive animals as far as, like, temperature goes. Like, they can kind of cop mm-hmm. a bit of heat because most of your stuff does kind of come from more arid yeah. areas of the country. So that kind of works in your favour as well. Yeah, of course. And, like, I'd, I'd love to... And like you said, I keep a lot of desert-dwelling Central Australian and Northern Australian critters. So I would love to branch out into some more of the tropical stuff um, and stuff that can, you know, withstand the slightly cooler conditions and, you know, mix it up a little bit. And in order to do so, I felt like having a room that was quite steady in temperature was going to be easier to to do that. Um, I didn't have to worry too much about the room cooking and then not being yeah. me not being able to keep them in yeah. the conditions that they need to be in, so this room essentially is just perfect for that. Yeah, that's definitely one thing I worry about in the summer with where my stuff is is the heat because this mm-hmm. gets like the afternoon sun. One wall just mm-hmm. basically gets the afternoon sun mm-hmm. all day, so I've got like a little mobile air conditioner for those hot days. Mm-hmm. That yeah, if I'm not home, I'll ring the wife up and say, "Hey, just go yeah. turn that air conditioner on for me and just run yeah. a flat chat on 16." Yeah, and um, you need it. You do need oh, it. Oh, definitely. For sure, but um, but yeah, obviously, I plan on redoing a room in the next couple of years, and I'll insulate it a lot. Like this is insulated, but I'll definitely make some changes to make it mm-hmm. insulated a lot more. So, mm-hmm. as far as your room goes, like once you did kind of choose it out and stuff, did you did you start kind of like? Just walk us through the process. Did you draw up some plans? Like, did you know the enclosures you were going to use? Did you kind of have like a bit of a rough idea as to how it was going to go? Yeah, so it started with, I know a lot of people try to work out how much room they've got and what enclosures they can put in there. But for me, it was what in, what animals I was interested in keeping yep. and then basing like my room and the space and what I can put in here off the animals that I intend on keeping. So 
for me, it was no point, you know, setting up all these racks and all these enclosures and then going, hey, I want to put these enclosures in or these animals and go, mm. uh, you know, bugger, I've got to sort of redo bits and pieces or, you know, sell racks, buy different racks. And so for me, I, I just sat down there one day and I sort of always over time had an idea of what I wanted to keep. Um, but I sat down there and really thought about it and what I was, and I know people change their, like as they keep and as time goes on, they change their, you know, idea of what they'd like. But for me, I was fairly consistent. I knew roughly what I wanted. And from that, worked out appropriate cage sizes, um, cage sizes that I can be creative with, with the backgrounds. I obviously was interested in doing big custom enclosures and in time, you know, putting my hand into some of that bioactive stuff. So um, it was, yeah, I sat down and, and drew up. Measure, well, I measured up the room and thought, okay, this is what I've got. This is, you know, my heights, my, my lengths and widths and all the rest of it. And then I just started jumping on Bunnings and looking at my rack sizes, what my max maximum size racks can be. Once I worked out roughly how big the racks, you know, I wanted in here and where they'd fit in the room, because uh, the main thing was like I've, this room wraps around. I've got enclosures all the way around me. And what I didn't want to do was have racks that were too deep and there was no room for me to walk in the middle. Or do yeah. any anything in the middle would just be pointless, you know what I mean? And and the and the other thing is I didn't want the like the animals to be too close to each other face to face, it might stress them and whatnot. So I had to, you know, compensate for that and, and take that into consideration. But once I got there, it was I sat down and like, you know, I had a eighteen hundred rack. How many enclosures can I fit on an eighteen hundred rack? What species did I want to keep? And yeah, it just went from there. It took it altogether, I think it took me a, like truthfully about, you know, sort of five hours from start to finish with all the drawings and drawing up what enclosures, what can fit where. And I also trying to keep that theme, you know, I've got yep. a lot of the terrestrial on one side and then arboreal on the other side. I didn't want to mix it up too much. So mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, working out what's going to fit where and how I can utilize as much space as possible within reason, obviously. And yeah, so it took a lot, it took a while, but it was definitely worth it. I'm so glad I put the time and effort into it prior to starting and that's something yeah. I highly recommend to anyone that is starting a room. Like as you guys would know, it's utilizing that space, but utilizing it effectively and being obviously as well, just being fair to the animals, making sure you can give them yeah. as much space as possible, you know. Yeah. And that was that was pretty much what paved the way to my like my drawings and working out working out the whole process. Yeah. Yeah, and what, with your enclosures behind, you've obviously kind of gone down the the glass enclosures for the majority of them. Um, what what enclosures have you gone with for the glass ones? Because I was just trying to work out what they were. Repti one. That's right. Yeah, maybe yeah. That now. Yeah, yeah. Repti one. I liked the Exoterra, um, and the the intentions were to go with Exoterra. Yeah. Um, however, the local pet shop was they just stocked strictly out of Repti one. Yeah. And. There's not there's not a huge like a huge difference between the two, uh, except for I guess maybe the face of the enclosure. Um, but I don't regret going with the Repti one. The the thing I think one thing that sort of could be would be nice and would be different with these ones is if it wasn't like a strictly lock and key sort of set up mm. to close it. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you know keeping animals that are on sand and stuff that sand just gets straight down, in, especially with the monitors as well. Like yeah. they, they kick you know sand up everywhere and whatnot. So. Sand gets down into that lock system. It's hard to close, and um, like I'm covering in a like an upcoming episode, the amount of times I've had a container full of crickets, and I'm trying to close a, the enclosure with one hand, and the doors are opening, and then I'm dropping the container and crickets everywhere, and I was just like, oh. So, you know, whereas the Exoterra was a, would be a bit better for that, but 
there is some little adjustments that you can make to these Repti ones as far as the attached, like the um, door attachments go. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I've done. So now they're a super effective enclosure. I went with the glass just purely for the, like wanting to get into the bioactive. Um, yeah. Whilst you obviously you can do it in melamine. For yeah. me, it was also about weight, how much weight like these racks can take. Yeah. Um, yeah. And big melamine enclosures, you know, they have a tendency to sort of warp just in, from my experience. And whilst I do, you can silicon up, like use silicon and stuff and seal up their edges. Over time from previous enclosures, they do start to warp a little bit. Yeah. Long exposure to water and stuff does. It did create some issues with the enclosures that I had. So I went with the glass. It was kind of didn't sort of matter how much water you have in them. It can't really, it won't do any damage as such to the, to the glass. It just can't. So that was a yeah, big exactly. factor into it. And just keeping that theme, they look aesthetically pleasing when you've got a few of them in there. Yep. And you do them, do them right up. So that was the plan. Yeah, that's why. And I love being able to walk into a room and being able to see, like, the lights in it, you know, the reflections mm-hmm. and this and that. And that's one thing I like about Luke's now that he's gone with his backgrounds, those printed ones, is you walk in mm-hmm. and it gives you that, like, vast, like, the enclosures look bigger almost. The depth. You know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, it adds, that, like, an extra dimension to it. Absolutely. And the melamine, like, whilst you can be creative with it, you can still do your backgrounds. Yeah. You could still print your images. A lot of your melamine enclosures, you know, they've got big, you know, big face, like you know, faces at the front that like min- minimise the amount of um, viewing that you can see of yes. animals. If that makes sense. Yeah. So these glass ones, you, it just opens it right up, and that's what I like yeah. about it. And like you Definitely. said, with Luke's backgrounds, once you put them pictures in, it's it kind of when you're standing at the front of the enclosure, it just looks like it keeps keeps yeah. going and going and going, and and that's really cool. I think one of the things that I like about your room is you've committed to one brand. Yes. You know, as far as, you know, like for a while I had a rack where I had like a glass Zoomed Reptile One and Exoterra tanks all on the same rack and it just looked so crap because it was just like mm-hmm. such a hodgepodge of stuff, whereas at least you've mm-hmm. kind of gone, Reptile One, that's my jam. This is where I'm going with it. You know, you're yeah. kind of committed to it. So it does look all nice and aesthetically pleasing like that. Yeah. And that, and that they're like... Whilst it was sort of planned, it also wasn't planned. Like a lot of the light fixtures and stuff that I've got, they're all Repti One. Um, yeah, thermostats and that sort of Repti One. Like, so it's just yeah. unintentionally, but I ended up going to that theme. And now it's kind of like, well, I'm sort of glad I did because it does, you're right. It, it's cool just having that one sticking to that one brand. And yeah, I like it as well. Yeah. A lot of people knock it, but man, they build stuff that works. You know, I mean, some flat packs, yeah they're not going to always line up the most perfect ways and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, like mm-hmm. we were talking about the vivariums and stuff. How You know, sometimes, sometimes they can be a bit tricky to get the, the doors to line up straight and stuff like that. But, yeah, you know, you do get what you pay for in a certain sense there. And if you tweak it like, like we've both done, you can make it work. That's, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I like just, them as a brand. Yeah, I, like I can't fault it. I've tried, I've kept animals all sorts of ways between tub setups, big melamine enclosures, and you know glass enclosures, but now I've come back to the glass. And whilst I don't, I'm not one. I'm not going to knock anyone that keeps you know keep the animals however you want to keep them as long as they're healthy. Um, mm. For me personally, it works. I like it, and that's just something I'm just going to stick with. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And at the end of the day, it comes down to your preference. You know, not what it, other people think. It's what you want to do. That's it. I'm, I'm you, the one that you enjoy. Yeah, I'm the one that's sitting in here all day working on it. So exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. 
But um, yeah, no, I, I I didn't mind the reptile ones, but I just always had a thing for exoterrorists. It's just mm-hmm. you know, and back mm-hmm. back when I started doing my stuff, there wasn't like the range on the reptile one wasn't that big, whereas mm-hmm. exoterra kind of had that yeah that hold on the market for you know their range, and they were mm-hmm. like most of the ones I would buy are all secondhand. Yeah, you know, yeah, because and that's that's the other good thing with the Repti One is the price. Like, yeah, for what you pay for a Repti One compared to an Exoterra is just chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and like I said, just the pet shop that I go to, the the price, and when I buy them in bulk, getting that that little discount and stuff like this yep. little um, promotion program thing that the rep, like the um, pet shop has. It just the more I buy of sort of especially the same thing, the more money I get back off it, and it's just a bit of a no brainer. And that's more money to spend on animals too. <laughs> animals or, or food or lights yep, or exactly. something else. Yeah, so everything counts. Every little yeah, bit. Electricity right. bill. Yep. <laughs> yep. As far as like um, when you did set up all your enclosures, have you kind of – have you put any sort of like automation on any of them? Yeah, so I always had – we like when we did some renovations at the house, we got into the Grid Connect system. Um, yep. my dad was, he loved it. And I think we, like, I was sort of wanting to go down that path. We always used to use timers and that sort of stuff. Just like the timers you can buy from Bunnings. It's the, you know, yep. manually ones. But over time, I think I saw it was one of your videos, Luke, when you talked about the grid connect system and the power boards that are all on a timer all connects to your phone. And for me, that was just like, well, that's perfect because, you know, if I'm at work, I can turn them on, I can turn them off. I can, you know, all that controllers with my phone and it makes it much easier, like we were talking about before, Luke, just setting up the timers and when I want them to come on and off. And whilst I can do that with the thermostats, if I'm being brutally honest, like the thermostats for me are just so confusing. So whereas this 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 app and the, the Grid Connect system just makes it so much easier and yeah. I can't fault it. I've been using it and... It must work because, I, like, I'm obviously breeding the geckos and that sort of stuff. So, if it's working, I'm not going to change it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Have you had any issues with any of the power boards yet? Not yet. Uh, more just that it's I like the power board from the Grid Connect system that you connect up to your phone and control from your phone. Only I think the maximum amount of sockets you can get in that was four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a bit tricky whereas you know you can get the other grid connect power board that's got 12 so yeah. some of the power boards like i've still got some of the 12s and then i've got some of the 4.1s um the 12s obviously still on that manual timer but if you know maybe one day the grid connect that come out with a big like a 12 socket one that's got a timer and stuff on it so that would be my only issue is that the convenience of the timer on the smaller one is great but it, there's only four sockets so i guess if you've only got a really small collection or whatever it'd be perfect mm. but yeah for big collections and that it might it's a bit a little bit more tricky i think jason and i both run through a few issues where we've had some boards die on us hey yeah a couple of outlets that stopped working but the good thing mm-hmm. is you just take it straight back to bunnings and then oh, go you go grab another one like, yeah. don't, don't even ask the question you got the receipt yeah here's the receipt yeah sweet go yeah that's one. it that's it you yeah. know, like i found those oh, um those four socket ones the the power button for me is what does it like the actual yes. like little button that you can press on, that's the thing that the seems on to... off button. Yeah, that's yep. the thing that yep. seems to, to just blow out on them all the time. I think I've mm-hmm. replaced oh, four or five now. But yeah. as you say, like it's a bit of an inconvenience, but like who doesn't have a Bunnings five minutes away from them? So 
you know, yeah, it's, it's easy enough just to stop by and get another one. Yeah, That's literally true. two minutes from my place, and like yeah. it's very convenient <laughs> That's for me. Dangerous. Like, yeah, well, my mum works there, so <laughs> if, I, if I exactly, so if I need something, I'll be I'll be doing something in the room, and I'll be like, oh, I need this. I'll be straight on the burner. So like, mum, can you bring this home when you're finished, please? And yeah, so it's <laughs> dangerous, but very convenient as well. Bunnings home delivery. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, that's perfect. That reminds me, I've got to actually, because I've just changed my internet, so I've got to reconnect on mine to the internet, so that'll be mm-hmm. fun. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, those it's a painful like process, yeah. 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 So. I just love, like, with, with the grid connect too, like, I love how you can kind of set everything to... Um, Automation. To like your, yeah, well, yeah, that, but, like, also, like, your like your suburb, you know, so yeah. if you want to, like, follow the light cycles in your suburb or something like that, you can do that. Yeah, with yeah. everything in your room, you don't have to touch anything at all, no. and it'll automatically adjust when the when the time when the when it comes on. Like you literally, oh. if you want to go with, you know, yeah, like I said, the light cycles or even the weather cycles. Like you can say, hey, when it gets yeah. hotter, do this. Yeah, like, that was that was one thing I wanted to cover in like a potentially like a future episode for some of the bigger enclosures, like the bigger monitor enclosures here. I'd love to, and I looked at it before was setting up that grid connect system on the timer, but also if you've got like a locality specific sort of animal, okay, we'll set that location to that locality. If it drops, you know, drops lower than that temperature, the lights go off, like mimic exactly where they're from in the enclosure as far as temperature, conditions, you know, the look of it and everything. I think that would be a really like interesting way of keeping them and something that I definitely have considered and I want to do in the future um, for the interim just whilst I'm building the room and it's very like hustle and bustle in here and I'm constantly turning stuff on and off and, you know, power boards changing, blah, blah, blah. But that's something I've looked at as well. I thought that was really interesting being able to set it to a location. Wherever you want. Changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just, I think that's awesome. It's definitely something I want to look at in the future. And one thing I found as well is you can actually buy air um, air conditioner controllers for Uh the Grid Connect system. So what I recently did this summer, but we we didn't get enough, like any hot days, is I've got it now. So when it gets to, this room gets to 28, it sends me a notification to my phone. So I just log on to the camera, check everything, and then I'll have it set off. Um, once soon as it gets to 29, all the higher enclosure lights turn off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if it goes to a degree again, all the bottom enclosures lights turn off. So basically it's dark except for one downlight in the middle of the room. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets to, I think it was 30 degrees, the misting system turns on. And then once it gets to like 30.5, the air conditioner turns on and just runs the air con basically until it oh, until insane. I get home. So, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's, and I can just watch it all from my phone as well. Like if, yeah. you know, if, I'm, if I'm like, oh, is the air conditioner, I can log on and I can see like, you know, mm-hmm. if there's a piece of paper blowing oh, yeah, the air conditioner's working or yeah. you know, what's the temperature down on the floor? What is it up on the roof? What lights are off? Yeah. All the lights go off. Like, yeah. And I like, so I guess you like you guys would be able to relate as well. Like, you know, you've got partners and that sort of stuff. Like I've got my family in that here. If I'm at work or if I'm away, you know, because I do do a lot of traveling and touring and that sort of stuff. Yep. Whilst they roughly know how to keep the animals, especially like my mum and that, there's, they also, they need a little bit of guidance as well when I'm not here. So exactly. I can check that from my phone. And if I feel like it is too hot, I can go, hey, guys, can you just do something about it? Like, you know, and it's, or it's, I can do it from my phone. I don't even need them to intervene. So they don't have to yep. worry about the stress of, of, you know, having to come in here and check it and that sort of stuff, which it helps. But it does. It makes me laugh because you know, when we talk about it like this, we see how easy we've got it. Like it is complex yeah. to set up, but we've got it easy. 20, 30 years ago, they, they didn't have that. Well, that's even like, it was all like six, seven years ago. I used to freeze, like mm. I used to get all water bottles and freeze them 
if I yeah. knew it was going to be a hot day. Put and then the hot day, the like I'd put them on the tanks or I'd put them up where like the leaf tails would hide. And yeah. if I wasn't home and I forgot, I'd freak out. I'd have to like ring my missus or something, get her to mm-hmm. quickly like chuck them in and stuff. But yeah, now, I just the air conditioner comes on. Yeah, like, there was to, a lot of stress with the cave in a few. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Just a decade ago, it was crazy, but yeah, and it's so remember, affordable. That's the thing. It, it is, hey. Like I spent like maybe mm. six hundred bucks to kit out my house with it. Like as far as all the animals yeah. and stuff go, and that's like cameras, temp sensors, everything. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. all the boards. The, and the stuff, power boards are like fifty nothing. bucks, fifty dollars, and you yeah. can control each individual outlet on it. Like yeah. it's insane. Yeah. So even if you've got one or two critters, like that in itself is a fifty dollar power board. It's a mad investment. Like yeah, huge. That's huge. It's crazy. I got a little bit of a funny kind of story. I don't. I don't think I've told it before, but. Like as far as Grid Connect goes, so it's completely relevant with this. I remember being at Barclay Homestead after just finding my first Gillen's monitor, having a beer with Luke and Tyson, just going like, oh, that was like the best thing ever. And I was like, I wonder what my animals are doing at home. And I logged into my camera here because we didn't have like phone reception, but we were at the homestead so I could have Wi-Fi. And I logged into the phone and my missus was in here feeding geckos and stuff for me or feeding animals and that. And she's like, oh, there's actually a tank that you haven't marked down what's in here. I'll finally get a chance to talk to you about it. And it's thanks to the grid connect on the Wi-Fi via the camera. I was able to talk over the camera. And I'm in the middle of the bloody country. Yeah, that's funny. I've got one in the lounge room. So, like, you know, if the kids are in there and we're in the backyard or something, or I can always just keep an eye on them. And it's like they were doing something one day and I'm just like, oi, stop doing that. My son's like, (laughs) (laughs) who is that? And yeah. I'm like, it's me. He goes, where are you talking from? I'm like, look in the corner, buddy. He goes, what's that? <laughs> but, yeah, and it's just, you know, like for, for kids, it's great. Like you can use them as um, like, you know, baby monitors or whatever, mm-hmm. like for, mm-hmm. for that yeah. extra little bit of peace of mind. Like it's not just reptiles you can use for. You can use for everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's cheap. Like them yeah, cameras, exactly. like the Greek camera systems. I, I got gifted mine, so I couldn't tell you exactly what the prices are, but from memory, like compared to – a lot of the other security systems that you can buy from Bunnings or some of the other security places, like they are a hell of a lot cheaper and mm-hmm. very, very easy to use. So, yeah, I highly rate them. I think the the cameras that I've got, I don't know if they're the same as yours, but they're the Orion cameras and they're, you know, that you can pan them around, you can talk mm-hmm. over them, you know, yep. you can, they've got infrared so you can see at night and stuff with them, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, i got the same one, yeah. It, it's So we got given a baby monitor for our kid and it's basically the same camera with like a little mouse tail and set of ears on it. I reckon that was like 160 bucks, whereas the Orion ones for the grid connector like 45. Like they're yeah, yeah. ridiculously cheap for what they are. And it's, yeah. just, it's the same thing. It's but yeah. just yeah, no, they're excellent camera and they like they're, 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 they're like decent quality. There is a little bit of like glare from my lights yeah. and that from the monitors and that. But I mean, look at the end of the day for the well, most the part. Should pay. Like, exactly, yeah. I mean, sure, if I paid yeah, three or four hundred bucks for a mad camera system, it'd be different, but yeah, I'm not. I'm only paying 40, 45, 50, right. and, you know, I'm happy with it. Yeah, you're laughing. Um, so why don't you just give us a bit of a walkthrough on your process of building out your enclosures from from your thought processes to using like iNaturalist as a bit of a guide to the actual build itself? Yeah, so to start with, obviously. Uh, for me, a lot of my monitors, I don't personally know locality specific, but for the, the geckos, it was, a you know, for example, say let's take the synctus, you know, you've got your synctus and then you've got your wheelery, wheelery. 
So to start with, it was like a, righto, where the synced is from in Australia. Look that up, look up that distribution, jump on our naturalist and, you know, type that in, search that in, get a bit of a feel for the rough colours and whatnot. And, and like I, I pointed out one of them videos there, you can see the observations and where people have found them in Australia. So, or in Western Australia. So jumping on that, looking at the observation, it was right next to uh, Katagini National Park up in the northwestern part of WA. Sweet. Jump online. A really good tool that I recommend to people that are actually doing it is not only jump on um, Google and have a look, but actually jump on Instagram. A lot of like travellers, solo travellers, um, content creators, that sort of stuff, they'll post up these photos of these places um, and obviously with the tags and you can search up specific tags and whatnot. And I got a lot of my motivation for environments, that sort of stuff from iNaturalist obviously, but also from looking up these people's photos and where they're from and whatnot and actually getting an idea of the, the, the layout of the land. And from there it was basically, all right, so that's the colours I'm working with. That's the kind of environment that I'm working with. Now I have to work out, you know, this is the enclosures that I've got. How big are they? How much room have I got? I'm trying to utilize as much space in the enclosure. Obviously, putting big backgrounds in, you sort of, you start to run out of that room. So it was kind of how can I incorporate nest boxes, um, the backgrounds without using too much room and, and giving the animals lots of space. So it all starts basically just if you do have locality specific animals, you can look at that. If not, you can sort of just get a rough idea where your animals from in Australia. Look at a few photos, get that motivation. If you want to print some off, save some images, do what you got to do. Um, and just set them up just so that you can mimic the colours as much as possible and the environment, and that's just how I go through it. it. Just, yeah, it's, it's you know, it takes a little bit longer than just sort of slapping it together, but doing it right, doing it properly, and these these enclosures will last. And for me, that's the main thing is I wanted it to look as natural as possible and mimic as much of the environment, you know, to keep the animals as rewarding enough, but to keep them in an environment that looks pretty much spot on to where, you're expecting to see them is even better. So, and that's where I did get a lot of my motivation to do that process from like people like yourself, Luke, and looking like, you know, trying to keep them in closures and making them look as absolutely naturalistic as possible. And in my opinion, it truly, it just complements the animal as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy kind of feeling, you know, obviously we all go through it where we kind of have the animal in the, the plastic tub with newspaper or whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden you've got a, an animal that maybe you once kept, it's the same species and you got it in a bit more of a natural setup and you're just like, Oh wow, that's just looks like tenfold better. Way better. Way better. Yeah. So with the actual builds, you're doing the tile pointing process. Yeah. For, mm-hmm. for all your backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. You- half some of the enclosures, like the big one I just did is like half tile pointing, half sort of photo. But yep. for the most part, yeah, it's all tile pointing and whatnot. Have you have you ever tried doing like the grout route? Uh, that was the first route that I took with it, and I was hopeless. Just <laughs> bluntly, I was I, I just did it wrong, and I didn't pay enough attention. I didn't put enough uh, research and sort of into it, so I, really, I did botch it up. And unfortunately, at the time, I was kind of like, nah, I've sort of I've stuffed it. I don't do it. I put it in the too hard basket, and then. Yeah, that's when I come on to the tile pointing and, yeah, that was, that for me, that was like at the time, it's a very easy product to use, add it to a bucket, container, whatever, put your water into it depending on how 
like, you know, wet you want it, how, you know, um, yeah, like I said, how wet you want it, how easy you want to get it into some of them cracks and crevices and all that jazz. And then, yeah, just add your, add your dye to it. So I, I did try the grout, uh, the grout way once upon a time, but I was just, yeah, no good at it. And once I sort of got a method going with the tile pointing, I just haven't really looked back. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, thanks to, to guys like uh, I think Greeny was the real first kind of person that kind of came up with um, the tile pointing route. Um, and obviously he passed it kind of like all the details on through Cam. Cam kind of went big with it. He's the one that taught me with it. It's just kind of like snowballed through everything. Mm-hmm. But I think I don't think anything quite beats like a grout or a cement type yep. background. I think they look really, really natural, especially when you've got guys like Somerville just killing it and, you know, Christy and stuff like that, killing it with some of those backgrounds. But the tile pointing just seems like it's so much more convenient and I think that's what's mm-hmm. not yeah. made me go to grout or give that a go again is because it's just like it's just nice to use. It's, mm. you know, as yeah. you say, it's easy to mix up. It's it's almost foolproof really. Like you can't, you really can't yeah. go wrong with it in my opinion. It's it just yeah, that's just my opinion, and I've been able to do these backgrounds. I'm super satisfied with them, and yeah, again, I, I like. Whilst I'm always open to learning and wanting to do better, as we all are, um, for the interim, like I'm quite happy with the tile pointing look, and yeah, I guess I'll stick with it until I, I guess I, until I can expand my knowledge a bit more. Maybe one day I'll have a crack at that grout method, and yeah, I'll see how it goes. I think the other thing that puts me off doing the grout so much as well is I think it's heavier. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, I'm thinking about, you know, weight on racks and, and all that sort of stuff again where I was like, oh, <laughs> I know how much of a pain in the bum it was to move everything here. So yeah. to do that with grout-filled enclosures is kind of very, very daunting. It's already like, daunting yeah. thinking about moving out of here in five, ten years' time or whatever it might be, but... Yeah. yeah, and like yeah, with, between the the type of polystyrene and that that I use, and the the tile pointing, like a full background, like that big one up there behind me, within the tristus, like there's two walls basically that have they've got it done. You can lift it up with two fingers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. there's no, and you know that's got I think it was like five or six coats on it, so it's a lot. Like there's a lot on it, but it's not heavy, and it still yeah, looks yeah. good. There's lots of grip to it. They are up and down it all day, so it still has that real nice texture that they need to get up and down. And yeah, I, I love it. I think it's a great. I'm so glad I like you know, I got onto it when I did, and it's been a game changer for me. So th- there's an interesting thing that I've got to ask you then. So most people that kind of got onto the top went in bad way, like myself included. We all kind of went the route of using those XPS foam boards from Bunnings, like the real kind of like dense boards, what mm-hmm. kind of pushed you down the polystyrene route? Uh, affordability. The the polystyrene, especially these big boards. So I used to get the XPS boards from Bunnings um, and they used to have a really nice range of it. Uh, and then over time, the Bunnings, like my local Bunnings, they, for whatever reason, the range of the sizes and stuff uh, diminished. And they yeah. just had the one. I think they only have the the forty the forty mil deep ones. That's it. And so yeah. I kind of was like, for a few of my backgrounds, I, like, I need something a bit bigger. Like I need, you know. And whilst you can just double up, glue it up, and make the thickness that you want, your hard size, but to, to buy it already pre done for sort of the size you want was a lot more convenient. So I ended up. I was actually at 
uh, I get all my stuff, the polystyrene from Clark's Rubber. Um, and I was down there for like just pool related stuff, obviously. And I seen it up there on the rack and I was like, well, that's, yeah, that's what I need. That's the sort of stuff I need. Went over and, you know, obviously had a feel of it. And I was like, yeah, look, it's not as dense. It's a lot softer. It's a bit harder to cut. Uh, it yep. makes a bit more of a mess sort of thing. But with that new tool, the Azito tool thing that I've got, like with the blade on it, it, it just slices through it like, like butter. So it was truly, whilst it does have, it's like the, it is harder to work with in that sense that it, cause, because it is so soft, the way around it for me was sort of once I had my rough shape that I wanted to do in the background, getting out the, like the heat gun or even just a hairdryer or something like that and running it over the top, it actually creates quite a, like a, a sort of a real textured, but also it hardens up the surface of that polystyrene. Yeah to yep. almost the level of what your XPS, like FPS boards come from, like yep. stock sort of thing. So it is, yeah, it is, it's obviously different and it's got its flaws and it's got its benefits. But for me personally, it was just affordability as well. The boards are so cheap. I bought four big boards today and it costs $60. So right. it's, you know what I mean? And I think from memory, one big board of the XPS stuff is like 30 or $40. I yeah, don't I quote like me on it. Yeah, or 42 or something. There you go. So I just bought four times as much as what I would have if I just got the XPS boards. Again, no, if I had it my, if I had unlimited money, I'd go with the XPS. But this stuff here is just it's a little bit cheaper. I can still do everything that I want to do with it, and mm. I'm saving money. I always find it funny, hey, because like I remember when that kind of this whole tile pointing craze kind of came around those boards. Like I think it was like the 30 or 25 mil XPS boards were like 12 bucks 50 at Bunnings. And now they're like, as you say, like 30 bucks or something like that. Mm. And tile pointing, I remember was like 30 bucks or something. And now that's like 40, 45 bucks a tub or mm-hmm. something like that. It's like, yeah, I, I often in my head, I'd like, I know it's not, I know it's just probably <coughs> just natural inflation or whatever yeah. it might be. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if it's the reptile people that are causing they, this to they go knew. up. You know? like, they knew yeah. every time I went in there, you know, the, exp- the boards were gone from Bunnings, like they were sold out. And it was just like, yeah, every time I go in there, I'm like, oh, great. Like, and, and then I started to think to myself, I'm like, how many tradies really use this? And then not only yeah. that, I was like, how many other hobbyists in my area are coming in here doing the same thing? So I was like, how many people am I competing with to get these boards? Whereas at Clark's Rubber there, I've kind of maybe I've shot myself in the foot open enough about it. But, yeah, they, <laughs> there was just there was so much of it and I was just like, oh, it just, yeah, it's, there was heaps more, heaps more to get. Yeah. And once you get that layer of the tile, tile pointing on it, it hardens up like... Like and like I said, yeah. when you mm-hmm. use the the heat on it as well, so yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to just explain a little bit more about that cutting tool you use? Because obviously, I use just like a dodgy hot wire cutter thing, El Cheapo off eBay. But you've actually got a yeah. pretty fandangle machine that you use. Yeah, so I've got the I've obviously got three different tools that I use now. Um, the first tool is that same sort of that cheapo tool that that you've got, Luke. Um, the second yeah. tool that I've got was. I actually, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. I can't pronounce his actual name, but he's, he goes by the Reptile Hun on Instagram and he's a Turkish uh, fellow that keeps monitors yes. and that sort of stuff and he, he's really big into like his Kimberley Rock monitors and now he's, uh, I think they're pronounced what Bukhari, he's like the black tree monitors and that sort of stuff. So he used this, it's a hobbyist tool for basically, I think the idea was it was built for people that do like the hobbyist train sets and whatnot, like mimic yeah. the landscapes and whatnot. So it's a it was one hundred and seventy dollars off the top of my head 
um, from overseas there. I think it was actually from Turkey. Um, yep. but you can just get it on YouTube, or not YouTube, sorry, eBay. Um, and it comes with the wires. You can be a lot more creative with when you're cutting that foam. Um, yep. the only downfall to a tool like that, unfortunately, is, you know, you do one pass through with that tool and you've got that, that shape in that board. If you go ahead and do another pass through with that tool at a different spot on the board, it obviously looks exactly the same. So having yeah. to wait for the wire to cool down enough that you can sort of bend it with your hands and keep doing it, it is a slower process. But in saying that, you take off a lot more foam as well. So yeah. I guess you're not, are you really saving time? Maybe, maybe not. But it's, um, it's a handy tool. I used it for the big background behind me to get into a lot of them cracks and crevices. Um, and then the other tool is just that, that $20 tool that, like, you would have seen probably from my recent video. It's just that Azito's got a bunch of different heads on it. Um, yep. You know, little pen heads, the round heads, that sort of stuff. So you can be super creative now, and I have been with the backgrounds because there's a lot more different shapes and sizes that you can use to, to create that uh, texture into your, into your backgrounds. Yeah, and that's one thing with the tile pointing is you got to make sure you get that texture and, and carving into the foam mm-hmm. before you paint mm-hmm. it on. Like mm-hmm. I think that's where I went wrong when I did mine. <laughs> I didn't yeah. put enough texture and detail in the foam that yeah. I painted and I'm like, that just looks like garbage. I'll just have to cover it with plants. Yeah. <laughs> my, my biggest thing, my biggest flaw I think is I, I finish a background before I've put the tile pointing on and I put all the details and stuff in and nearly every single background I've done to date, I look at it and I'm like, God, that looks garbage. And I've put so much detail in it, so much time, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw it out, and start again. And like, you know, I've had I've had my mum say like, no, 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 just wait, just start putting layers of the top pointing on, and then just see what you think. And it's actually the the more garbage I found that the the background looked when I was doing it, and then actually putting the top pointing on, the better the the end result was. So the more detail, yeah. and yeah, it does look hideous before you put the top pointing on. Once you start putting more and more layers on and um, thickening up that consistency of your top pointing. The, the backgrounds look excellent. They do. Yeah. They come out great, especially, like I said, like the, the Aki background that I did here when I was doing it at the time, I was like, oh, man, look, this is an eyesore. I, I hated it, but I was like, I've committed to it. I've done half an episode on it so far. I didn't want to have to redo all that filming for it. So I yeah. was like, oh, I'll just stick with it. And if I don't like it, maybe one day I'll just do another one. But once I started putting that tile pointing on and it was filling up them really ugly little details that I didn't like, they ended up, it ended up coming out all right. So, yeah, like you said, just having more tools at the ready to do it uh, and you can be super creative with it. And I always found just putting heaps more texture in was easier because you can just fill it up with tile pointing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found sometimes too, like you can actually just add details as you're going through your layers of tile pointing mm-hmm. as well or you're going to get into your last thicker layers or whatever. You can always add some little like scratches and yeah. chip things off and, and do all that sort of stuff. I, yeah. I Sometimes I found with some of my backgrounds, if I overworked the foam, like especially with really fine details, you just lose it mm-hmm. if you if you're doing it. So it's kind of like, oh, even Cam. Cam would um, what would he do? He'd come back like an hour or two later after doing his last kind of coat or whatever, and actually smooth it out. He'd like re wet it and kind of like smooth it with his hands and stuff like that after it as mm-hmm. well. Which I've never had the time to do that, but I found that quite interesting. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, what enclosures are kind of like next on your hit list? If you can give us a bit of a sneak peek. Yeah. So I've got the arboreal enclosures. I'm doing the strophorus behind me and the yeah. northern velvets. Um, basically, as I'm talking about in this episode that I'm doing, is 
you know, the enclosures are 600 tall by 600 wide. And when you're keeping sort of two to three geckos, whilst that is, it's a, it's a decent amount of room. I also, I want to allow as much space for them as possible. Now, if I'm putting really big backgrounds in there, you sort of, you do lose a bit of your space and stuff. So at the moment it took, before I even started the episode, I sort of really sat down and thought, okay, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And I sort of played around with a bit of foam and I worked out, I don't know if any of you fellas used it, but like, you know, maybe I think it was about 10 years ago. So there was these, uh, these hides that were really popular and basically, you know, you put one half inside the enclosure and it had a magnet system mm-hmm. and the other half was on the outside and you just pull them apart and you could see your animals in there. And I was like, well, that's not a bad idea. It adds texture to the enclosure, all that sort of stuff. And I thought, but I don't want anything hanging out my like outside of my enclosure. I thought, well, how can I do this? How can I incorporate that into the background? So what I ended up coming up with without giving away too many spoilers was I've got two sides of the enclosures that's going to have the, the artificial rock wall, but there's going to be a face of the rock wall or a part of the rock wall that I can actually pull off and it acts as a hide in there. It's going yeah. to look just like a normal <clears throat> rock. The entrance is hidden by cracks and that sort of stuff as it would be in the wild sort of thing, but it's the hide is incorporated into the rock. So yeah, the animals have got somewhere to retreat to. It'll be cooler. It'll be all that sort of stuff. And it just looks natural. You don't have that sort of big sort of artificial look and hide on the floor of the enclosure or whatever. And, yeah. you know, so the, the enclosures themselves, I'm trying really hard with these ones to be quite simplistic and not over, over, you know, overdo it, over flood it, but it's still super practical and they got somewhere to hide. So I ended up, with that tool, it's got that nice little round um, headpiece to it. I bought a bunch of magnets from Bunnings there. The magnets, believe it or not, are the exact same size as the tool, so it was kind of meant to be. And <laughs> I've come up with a bit of a, a few prototypes here of just the, the hide, and basically you do, you just have your rock wall and it's just a glued-on rock that will just stick onto the onto the foam there, onto the backboard. And, yeah, and it just looks like a rock. Like you wouldn't, you don't know, you can't see from the outside that you can pull it off, but you know, I know that you can pull it off and it's a handy sort of thing there if I want to have a look at the animals or whatnot. So the enclosures will just be, you know, two sides, nice rock wall, artificial sort of background, uh, probably a big plant sort of in the middle. I'm trying to go bioactive with these ones. So that's something that you're going to get a few messages in the not too distant future for Luke and how am I, like where you get the um, the bedding and that sort of stuff, setting up that part of it. But yeah, trying to keep it nice and simple but now like naturalistic and just incorporating that same environment where they're from. And yeah, so I'll try, um, depending on how long it takes me, I'll try and knock over both enclosures in one episode. But if not, I'll just do an enclosure each episode. And I'm trying to do with it, especially with these episodes as talk about it as much as possible, start to finish and really document the whole process. Um, so everyone else that like wants to maybe try and mimic that can see how I did it instead of me just sort of doing it and then putting it in there and then talking about it. They can see it as I do it. But yeah, that's where I'm up oh, to cool. with them too. Nice. That sounds unreal. Mm. Can you see that? Sounds very unique. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. So as far as enclosures go, they're kind of on your hit, hit, uh, your hit list rather, but mm-hmm. do you have any sort of new species or, or any kind of dream species that you'd like to hunt down for your room? Yeah, so I am obsessed with obviously the banded aspers. I think out of all the large knobtail species, now I'm a huge fan of the MAs. They're easily my favourite. Like I love them, but the banded aspers are something that I've seen since I was a kid. Um accessibility to them or like you know how many people i know that keep them has been quite limited especially really banded aspers not just you know sort of a banded look but it's a bit washed out so 
they're my easily up there on my dream species. But believe it or not, and it's you know I'm not saying it because obviously I'm on the call with Jason, but I love the chameleon geckos, and they are as far as our boreal geckos goes. I'm they're at the top of my my hit list there. So I would absolutely love to keep a few of them. Um, I just I think what attracts me to them is, in my opinion, they're so ugly. Like they just have yeah, this really, <laughs> really gargoyle sort of look to them. The jet black eyes. The yeah, I just ever since I locked eyes, like you know, I saw them the first time uh, online. There, I've never actually seen one in person, but ever since I seen them online, there, I was just like, wow, these things look insane. And you know, I think when you compare them to some of your other geckos, like that I've got, they've got that really cute, the big bubbly eyes, and they, you know, they do look to to somebody who's not a big sort of reptile fan, they do look quite cool, and mm-hmm. you know different and like maybe a little bit cute but these the chameleon geckos they're just in my opinion they're just ugly and i love it and yeah so they're right up there on my um the species i love to keep Uh, as far as monitors go i definitely i've been in contact with a few people and i'm lining up towards the end of the um some brevi quarters um nice so they're high on my just purely for i think you know i've got one of the largest monitors in australia and to have also the smallest one of the smallest as well is it's quite you know it's cool it's um it's something that i'd like to do and i've been really really fascinated by them since i you know first saw them as well and so them and i'm definitely i've also from the same person lined up some kimbos um and i'm yeah really excited to keep some of them so yeah they're definitely high up there in my kimberly the kimberly rock monitors and some Probably of the like I spoke to you before, Luke, the Scalaris, like Peloensis and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, but it's sure. just just money and availability and and all that sort of stuff. So it'll happen when it happens. But yeah, they're high on my um my hit list, and I will I can say it with confidence because I'm stubborn like that. But I, like I will get some. But um yeah, that's a that's another day. Yeah. Well, it looks like you're working into it really well, though. Like at least yeah, you're definitely. Fine. You know, you're building up to a pretty awesome room as far as geckos and monitors go. Yeah. You don't sure. have any, do you have any other sort of like groups of animals you you potentially just kind of like throw one or two species in or oh, you, you I, have central netteds as well, don't you? Yeah, I've got some central netteds. I used to keep bearded dragons. I sort of a few years ago I bred bearded dragons. I, I was the second year, so not the first year that the leatherbacks actually came out. I think it was 20. 15, the first lot of leatherback beardies come out. Don't quote me on it, but that's when they sort of really hit the market. 2016, I bought a couple and bred like crazy with them. So at one point there, um, which is it's sort of when I tell people, they sort of can't wrap their head around it, but I had over 100 bearded dragons. So that was our whole lounge room was just bearded dragons, which my family was a bit sick of because, you know, when you've got that many between all the crickets and the smell and the, the rest of it. But, um, I did like the beaties, but I sort of, I think I overdid it and overcommitted too much to them and I sort of put me off them a little bit and the where the sort of direction I've gone down now is I kind of, I like having animals that are unique and not too, not everyone has them, you know, like we, I said to you, Luke, the other day, yeah. you sort of go to an expo and you do see a lot of carpets, you do see a lot of blueies and a lot of beaties and, again, I'm not knocking anyone that keeps them, good for them, like if that's what you like and that's what you want to keep, that's awesome. Um, but for me, I just I like keeping some of the animals that are not everyone has, and and that's what sort of led me down wanting to get some of the aspers and the chameleon geckos and you know some of your chameleon rock monitors and brevi quarters and stuff. But another species that I'd really like to get into um, would probably have to be some of the 
like Egonia species, like the the little depressors and all that sort of stuff. And I think they're really unique. And actually one of the large enclosures that I've got here, I'd love to do a, a huge rock wall with lots of cracks and crevices and, and maybe have like a small colony in there. But that's something I'll consider, you know, when the time comes. Yeah. It's going to be so interesting watching your room kind of just grow and develop as it kind of, you know, all gets slotted together. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's scratching my itch. I'm excited yeah, about it and getting to watch it. Every day I come in here and I'm sure you guys would have been the same. Like I come in here and I'll be doing something and I'll turn and be distracted by this and that. And it just, every day I'm thinking of new ways, like how can I do this room up even more? How can it be more, you know, um, sufficient with you know, like my food and keeping where can I put the food get it out of the way and hide it away so the room is just purely reptiles and um, yep. so I do have a big wardrobe obviously like in here being as it is a study it was kind of like a room sort of thing um, which I'm going to turn in, into the like in the future it's going to turn into just strictly a, a hatchy um, area so yep. probably take the glass sliding doors off and just have all my hatchlings in a nice cool sort of little setup in here with all the different sized enclosures, obviously for the arboreal hatchies and then the terrestrial hatchies and I'll have my incubator in here and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's just every day I sort of come here and like, oh, you know what, I'm going to start doing that and this is what I want to do and, yeah, yeah. It gets like that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely hooked. Oh, mate. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on having a chat to us. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Have you guys got anything else that you want to touch on before we, we wrap this up? Oh, I didn't Luke mention something about books. Oh yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you told me this story, but I think you got to tell this story to Jason because I asked, I asked uh, Braden if he was ever into collecting reptile books. Yeah, so back when I was twelve, I was twelve years old. My first job was actually a paperboy for like a news agency, yeah. and uh, they started selling the scales and tails or the reptiles magazine and scales and tails, and then you know as time went on, it was like changed to be there. But I, being as though, like I worked in the pet shop every Sunday, I think it was every Saturday they got their stock and filled it up. So Sunday morning I was in there before it was open because I was doing that, that paperwork roll, like delivering the, the Sunday telly and that. I'd, you know, clean up and collect every book and I had about, oh, I had about 20 or 30 books all still with the photos in them and, you know, I just collected them. Some of them, some of them I didn't even read properly. Like, you know, I, I wasn't even overly interested in the animals that were that were in the book, but um, I kept it, like collected it anyway just because I was, yep. you know, trying to keep a little collection. And when I sort of went through my, my phase there, as you do when you sort of come in and out of it and you know, I was cleaning out my room and, and just growing up, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to keep these books or read them. Like, you know, they're old. They're not, they're not that relevant to my, you know, to the species and stuff that I keep now. So I was like, no, whatever, and threw them out. And it's only within recent times have I realised how much value was actually in them books. And they were in exceptional condition with all the photos in them and everything. Yeah. And now I'm just like, I think I, I saw a post on Facebook there, someone selling them for some stupid amount of money and people were just, you know, jumping over themselves trying to get, you know, get a copy or even just buy the collection. And I was like, oh, I had you just all of them, but I just <laughs> threw them in the bin like it was nothing. So it hurts. It's a bit of a raw topic, but yeah, it is what it is. I do like the um, I do have a few of the like you know the complete knobtail books and the yep. complete pythons and that sort of stuff. So I do like collecting them, but yeah, the nothing will lump um, compared to keeping and losing all them 
original books for magazines and stuff. But anyway. That's one thing I'm glad I never did when I moved all my animals on was move all my books. But yeah. Yeah. anyway, anyway, <laughs> moving on, moving on. All right, well, we won't rub well, any more salt in your wounds. <laughs> no, jeez. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, mate, did you want to just throw out any sort of information as to where anybody can find you, you know, any of your Instagram and stuff like that? Yeah, so I've obviously got my, like, my Instagram page there, Red's Cold-Blooded Critters and the YouTube. Um, you can jump over there and follow it. I sort of kind of post a, a sort of thumbnail to my YouTube videos a couple of days before I put them out on, on YouTube itself. I've posted on Instagram there, sorry before I put it out on YouTube. So just judging off the – I tried it with my thumbnails. i give you a bit of an idea of what we're sort of doing, the animals that I'm focusing on in that episode. So if you want to jump over and give it a follow and you can sort of see what um, what you might expect coming up like with upcoming videos and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Oh, mate, well, yeah, thanks again for coming on. This yeah, has been an awesome you. episode. And um, No, nah, yeah, thanks for having me. It's, I've, I've been following it for a long time and – yeah, to be invited to jump on and have a chat about it. It's just, yeah, I'm super stoked and I can't thank you guys enough. So I um, I look forward to showing us what I can do with the room in, in the coming future. Excellent. Oh, no doubt we'll have to get you back on. Yeah. You know, yeah. Once, you, once you've progressed for a bit sure. further and have a chat yeah. about what you've learned along the way. Yeah, for sure. I'm all for it. Oh, sick. Uh, Alrighty, guys. So we'd like to say a massive thank you to Eric and Owen and the rest of the MPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.com and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.com. Make sure to follow the MPR network on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. As far as contacting us on our social media platforms, you can email us at australianhopetoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. And for myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beach of Scaly Beasts. Grab to have you back next time for another episode of the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.